invite all of us to turn in our Bibles. We will continue in 1 Kings chapter 12, picking up with verse 25, and we'll cover the entirety of chapter 13. Um, now, kids, you know that I like to give you a, an area to, to focus on, to listen for in the passage, and adults, by the way, that's also where I want you to listen as well. But you're going to hear about a lot of failures in this passage. You're going to hear about a lot of different leaders who will fail. So here's what I want you to listen for. Listen for the one thing and the one person who will never fail you. Okay? That's what we're listening for this day. There's a big passage here. And we're going to look at it piece by piece. But before we turn there, let's ask the Lord's blessing on the reading and preaching of his word. Would you bow with me? Oh, Lord, I am but a mere messenger and a weak one at that. So I ask that you would not hold my weakness, my sin against this people. Would you anoint the reading and preaching of your word, and would you anoint the ears that hear that every one of us would see the unfailing hope we have in Jesus Christ. Do this, we pray, in his name. Amen. Now, as I said, there's, there's a lot of text here. We're going to look at it piece by piece. I'm going to start by reading verses 25 through 33. But before I do, let me outline the whole of what you're going to hear today. You're going to see a leader who sinned. You're going to see a man of God who called him out. And you're going to see that man of God sin and fall as well. It's going to leave us looking for an unchanging hope. We'll find him in the word. Let's start reading verses 25 through 33. Brothers and sisters, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. I'm going to get my glasses so I can read. How's that? Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on the high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month like the feast that was in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. 
And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the 15th day in the 8th month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. This is the word of the Lord. The phrase, show your true colors, dates back to the 1700s when, by maritime law, ships at sea were required to fly the flag and the colors of their country of origin. Now, most ships were happy to comply with this law. They, they flew their nation's flag, but there were some who preferred to conceal their identity and their intentions. Pirates. They instead chose to mock the law and mimic the ships that they were seeking to attack. They, they disguised their true colors. They, they flew the flag of the ship that they were approaching until they got close to their prey. And there, in close proximity, they unfurled their true and foreboding colors. We've adopted the saying not to talk about the colors of a flag, but rather the intentions of our heart. We ask it of others, what are your true colors? And honestly, they're asking it of us. Jeroboam, in this text, he shows his true colors. He had presented himself as as a leader, a man of the people. We we saw that last week in the earlier portion of of 1 Kings 12 as, as he presented himself as the answer to the oppressive reign of Rehoboam. But here, his actions show that he was really all about himself. There's a shocking honesty to this text. I don't believe the text is telling us that Jeroboam for one second believed in these golden calves that he made. He wasn't there to worship them. It was all a matter of pragmatism. You see, he feared that they would leave him. He feared they would go back to Jerusalem, back to Judah, back to King Rehoboam. And everything he's doing, he's worshiping himself and his self-centered ambition. We, we see it in the opening verse that I gave you. In verse 25, it said, Then Jeroboam built Shechem. He didn't build Shechem. Shechem was an ancient city. What he did was build up Shechem buttressed the defenses. He made it a fortress in order to protect himself. And the man-made religion that he created was meant to serve the same purpose. Did you notice as I was reading the text how often I read the word made? The biblical writer is reinforcing A point emphasizing who is the creator of all of this worship. Verses 32 and 33 emphasize it. He said, so he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. 
And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel. Sadly, however, he wasn't all that creative. There's a, there's a striking reminder in this text when we read Jeroboam's words in verse 28. When he makes these calves, he utters these words, Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Maybe for some of us that sounds a bit familiar you see in the book of Exodus in Exodus 32 4 we hear Aaron the high priest offering those same words when as Moses went up on the mountain to receive God's law the people asked Aaron to make for them an idol he did so and he said these words the only difference between Aaron and his sin and his words and Jeroboam and his sin and his words is that one calf was not enough for Jeroboam he made two you see he made two temples one in the north one in the south Dan and Bethel it had to be easy you see for the people to get to there were two temples he needed two calves every bit of this was pragmatism all the definition of man-made religion as one writer wrote Jeroboam worshiped his own gods at his own times during his own festivals at his own temples in his own cities with his own priests Jeroboam is trying to create something that will serve himself but just as the festivities were about to begin Yahweh sent a convicting word. We pick back up in chapter 13, verse 1. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you. And human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. When the king heard this saying, the man of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him. And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was torn down and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. And the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me. And refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go in with you, and I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. 
on this day of worship, Jeroboam's gathered the people, and he's about to offer the first sacrifices, but he gets stopped in his track. You see, the man of God has come up from Judah. He makes his way through the crowd, and he shouts him down. He offers a word against the altar, and more specifically against the sin that led to the altar. It's a word of truth uttered in a word of judgment to an idolatrous king and to an idolatrous people. You see, their actions revealed their hearts, and their hearts were not with the Lord. This word that this prophet from Judah spoke, ultimately spoke to future destruction, but it came with three accompanying signs. The first two happened in the moment. The third would come in the future. It spoke of first of the near-term destruction of the altar. It would be torn down the ashes dumped off and it all happened according to the word but second there was the paralysis of Jeroboam's arm he he yelled out at this prophet from Judah but as soon as he did his arm froze up dried up became paralyzed and yet this prophet from Judah interceded on his behalf he was healed the second of three signs. The third is a future sign. It was a prophecy that this prophet from Judah offered, and he, he spoke of one who would come. He prophesied Josiah by name. Josiah was the king of Judah who would come into the future. He was to be a son of David, meaning he was a king over Judah, not Israel. And by prophesying that Josiah would come, prophet from Judah was also prophesying the destruction of the northern kingdom. It was a judgment over the idolatry of Israel, and every bit of it came to pass. And we read that account in 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 15 through 20. It all happened, all according to the word of God. This was the word of conviction that the man of God brought that day, but what we all need to be reminded of is what they should have caught on that day. And that is this, the word of conviction is always a word of mercy. The Lord offers this word in an attempt to draw his people back to him, to call them to repentance. It's the same for us. When we hear a word of conviction, the Lord is mercifully drawing us back to himself. But on that day, repentance would not come. Jeroboam invited the man of God to dinner. In so doing, he once again disguised his true colors. It was all an attempt to buy off the prophet to get him to reverse this curse. But the Lord had warned the prophet in advance, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way you came. The Lord warned 
the prophet in advance of the false colors of Jeroboam, and, and the prophet heeded this warning. And so with that, we pick back up in the story, but understand it's about to take a turn. I'll read now verses 11 through 19. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told to their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? Then his sons showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. This whole story is starting to get confusing. It's, it's strange. And we want to ask a lot of questions as we do want to ask about all of the Word of God. We want to ask, what in the world is going on here? But we also want to ask, why? Why, Lord? The Bible it doesn't answer those questions. It doesn't answer those questions for us in this text. And quite frankly, in many of the questions that we want to ask, we don't find our answers in scripture but as is always the case there is enough in this passage for us to see what we need there is enough in this passage there is always enough in the bible for us to get the main point that the lord has for us look we could have predicted jeroboam's actions we've seen him for a couple of chapters now and we know that that guy's kind of creepy it didn't take a genius to figure out that he would turn after false gods, that he would seek to self-preserve. But what about this prophet? What's going on with him, and what are we to learn from his apparent failure? First of all, let's put some pieces together. We need to understand that Jeroboam's invitation to the prophet from Judah it was an invitation to buy him off. He wanted to give him a reward in exchange for changing this curse. But we also need to see that the invitation that came from the prophet in Bethel was the same. He too was trying to buy off the prophet from Judah. And that's why God gave such clear, specific instructions do not eat, do not drink, and return by another way. There is no confusion, and the prophet from Judah signaled his clear understanding of this command when he refused the invitation from Jeroboam and when he first refused it from Bethel. 
Scripture is also clear that the old prophet from Bethel lied. He too was trying to buy off this prophet. And so did the prophet from Judah simply fall for it? Or did he passively put himself in the way of sin, looking at the possibility of a bribe? I'm not sure, but based on the outcome, based on what is about to happen and the verses that follow, I'm inclined to believe that this prophet from Judah was looking for a kickback. He had a clear word from the Lord, and he should have been wise enough to see what was going on and wise enough to know that the Lord our God never, not once, will contradict himself. prophet from Judah disobeyed that clear word and his disobedience led to his death if you thought it was confusing and strange before it's about to get weird I'll summarize the story for you as it happens from here during the meal as the prophet from Judah ate with the prophet in Bethel the lying prophet got an actual word from the Lord the actual word was the true word, and the true word of God cannot be thwarted. The prophet from Bethel spoke over this prophet from Judah a word of judgment because he had disobeyed the clear command of the Lord. And on the way home, a lion executed that judgment. A lion killed the prophet from Judah. This was not a tragic coincidence. You see, after executing judgment, the lion sat peacefully, patiently by the dead body and by the man's donkey. He was acting in a manner that was contrary to its nature, showing that this was not a coincidence. This was an instrument of judgment from the Lord. The old prophet heard about everything that had happened and he knew exactly what was going on. He came to recover and to bury the prophet of Judah. I know, it's weird. I know, it's confusing. But I also want you to know this, that in this story is a truth that we all need. Because embedded in this story is a struggle that we all feel. I told you in the beginning, I'll remind you now, if we summarize everything that has happened in this long and confusing passage, it all boils down to this. A leader sinned. A man of God called him out according to the word of God. And then that man fell. So the question that we've got to wrestle with and a question that we wrestle with every day is when that happens, when the man of God falls, is the word of God made void? Is the word of God made void when the man of God falls? Every one of us wrestle with that question and so we need to see that here, though the prophet waffles, the word of God, the word that he spoke does not. 
Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Look, this is an ancient tale, but it's also a very modern one. Leaders and pastors, they fall. Leaders and pastors, they will fail you. And Satan wants to take you out when that happens. Understand, the Word of God remains true. The Word of God remains true. It's a reminder for us today that our confidence is not to be founded in, rooted in the charisma of a teacher or the record of a leader. Understand, though, that does not give Christian leaders a license to sin. Scripture is very clear that that pastors, teachers, shepherds, leaders in the church of Jesus Christ are called to a deeper judgment. It's a warning for those who would teach the word of God. You'll be subject to a higher judgment. The word of God even says that it would be better for a millstone to be tied around our neck and to be drowned in the sea than to cause one of these little ones to sin. The word of God shouts a warning to the false teachers. But there's also encouragement to the people of God. Listen, our confidence must not be shaken by the reality of a fallen messenger because our hope is in the unfailing word of God. And with all the twists and turns that are in this passage, all the confusions, I believe that is the main point for us. Our hope is in the unfailing word of God. And so briefly, I want to apply this text to us in three ways. And the first is this. Let's be honest about the state of our own hearts. We live in a world that wants to blame the other person. We live in a world that always has an excuse. It's somebody else's fault. And so we're quick to point to the fallen leader, but we need to abide by Jesus' words. And before we take the speck out of our brother's eye, we need to remove the log from our own We see sin and idolatry abounding all around us, but first we must look inside our own hearts. Very few of us are going to build literal golden calves, but we can be awfully creative in the way we seek to reconstitute the biblical record. And when we carve out the portions of Scripture that we do not like, we are creating a bootleg religion. So before we consider the impact of the fallen messengers, we need to deal with our own temptations. That's the first application. The second is this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 tells us to test the spirits, to test the teachers. Everybody loves a trick play in sports unless, of course, you're on the receiving end of one. There was a a famous baseball game in 1915 between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Brooklyn Robins, what would become the Brooklyn Dodgers. In this game, 
Um, Miller Huggins was the Cardinals' third base coach. He had a runner on third, and there was a rookie Brooklyn pick, pitcher on the mound. When you hear rookie, think also gullible. One point in the game, Huggins called out, Hey, Appleton, throw me the ball. Appleton, the Brooklyn picture, pitcher, thought little of it, didn't think to see whether or not the Cardinals coach had called timeout, and he tossed the ball over. Cardinals coach just ducked out of the way. The ball ro rolls down the side of the grass. Runner scores. Cardinals win. Did the prophet from Judah simply fall for a trick play? Maybe. Or maybe, more likely, he wanted something in return. Either way, he should have been wise enough to discern. And that's what the Scripture calls us to be. The scripture calls us to be wise, to discern the spirits, which means to also discern the teachers and to measure them against the Word of God. Know this. The Word of God never contradicts itself. And any message that you think you may be hearing will never contradict the Word of God. How do we apply that to our lives in a multitude of ways? Let me offer one. Maybe some of us are thinking that I would be much happier if I had a different spouse. And if the Lord loved me, He would give me someone else. And when that tempter or temptress comes along we can justify it by thinking the Lord wants me to be happy what is the clear word of the Lord seventh commandment you shall not commit adultery no message no thought no temptation no desire comes from the Lord that contradicts the clear command of God, we, as a people of God, must test the spirits and test our desires. The lie that the prophet heard was a clear contradiction to the word that was given him, and he should have run. Let us be wise. And third, and maybe this is where it hits many of us the most, cling to the word even when the leaders fall. How many of us? have been hurt by a Christian leader who fell into sin. The documentaries, the podcasts, they abound. I just finished watching one on Hillsong. I've heard the one about Mars Hill, and there are many more smaller private instances of the failures of Christian leaders, and in every one of those stories, public or private, there is a trail of tears behind them and the stories of people who have abandoned their faith because the leader they trusted in failed. Maybe you've struggled with the same. When those we trust fall, we hurt, and we're tempted to run. We're tempted to create our own truth. But hear this. Our hope is not in the messenger. Our hope is in the message, the unfailing word of God. 
Some of us, we hear this through a very cynical lens. We see Jeroboam's true colors, but wasn't really in doubt. We're beginning to see the prophet's true colors, but maybe that has us wondering about God's true colors. If that is you, hear this. The word of God from beginning to end points us to his true colors and it shows us very clearly in this passage. The prophet from Judah, from Judah spoke of a future son of David, Josiah. Josiah was the king who would come. And when he did come, he brought revival in Judah. But he was only a messenger. He was a good one at that. But only a messenger. And yet there is another son of David who came another king king jesus he is the incarnate word and as john 1 14 tells us he is the word who became flesh king jesus is the unchanging word hebrews 13 8 tells us he is the same yesterday today and forever and though everyone else around us will eventually fail us he remains steadfast and in him, and in him alone, we have life. At the end of this odd passage, it gets even more odd. Verse 31 and 32. After the prophet from Bethel hears about what has happened along the roadside, and he goes to get him, he brings him back. There in verse 31 and 32, it says, And after he had buried him, he said to his sons, when I die, bury me in the grave which the man of God has buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. The lying prophet in time acknowledged the true word that was spoken and he declared his wish to be buried in the prophet's grave as if by association with him he would find hope friends we have a better hope we have a truer hope and our hope does not come through association with a dead man our hope comes through union with the one who died, was buried, and three days later rose again. Our hope is in our association with the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The schemes of man and the schemes of our own hearts will ultimately fail us. And all will fail us if we place hope in them so let us place our hope in the unchanging never failing word of god let us abide in him well jesus you you are steadfast you are true you are unchanging you are never failing and you came to save sinners like us I pray that you would lift our gaze off of the chief imitations of this world, that we might see and cling to you as you have presented yourself in your word. Do this, we pray in your name. Amen.